In this episode, I'm going to talk to Amir Soto. And Amir Soto, he's the co-founder of Gesty. Gesty is a modern property management tool that helps to simplify every single step of a short-term room rental. And what I really liked about our talk is that we go precisely through topics like KPI systems within a startup, what is the biggest difference between a scale-up and early-stage startup, and so on. I hope you enjoy that podcast. Together with me is um, Amiet from Gesty. Hi, thanks for inviting me to, uh, to talk with you. Yeah, um, and I'm super fascinated about um, your solutions that you have built. Um, you set up basically a business on another big new business, no? shared, uh, shared um, apartments over Airbnb and so on. Yeah. So basically, Gesty offers a software solution for property management companies who are trying to do it at scale. So think about all the professional property managers who manage 10, 50, 200 maybe properties on top of Airbnb or Booking.com. Uh, there's a significant amount of work involved with running that type of business. So we provide them with a full end-to-end -end platform, including managing their owner's relationship, managing their guest communication, managing their cleaners, their check-in personnel, maintenance, pricing, and so forth. Everything from within one platform. I could imagine that Gesty was not Gesty like right from the beginning, as you just explained your company. So can you take me a little bit to your first steps as an entrepreneur? How did you come up with that idea? Yeah, for sure. Um, Gesty was started by myself and my identical twin brother out of our own need as people who hosted on Airbnb, we felt there was way too much work involved for Airbnb to explode like they were. Um, and that was like six years ago. So when Airbnb was still in the hundreds of millions of dollars in valuation. And uh, with that idea, we basically decided, uh, you know, to create a company that, you know, you give your keys and you get the check and that's it. Um, but doing that for the first few months was way too cumbersome. Like we felt like we don't have any competitive advantage managing on these ground cleaners, um, we were building software since we were kids. You know, we were computer geeks. How can we leverage our, you know, uh, strength towards making this business a much more successful one? And only once we realized that, and trust me, we didn't really have fun managing all these cleaners. So for us, it was an easy decision. Uh, only once we did that, we basically started seeing more success. Uh, our, our, basically, the company we became was an on the cloud property management service. It was still a service though. So it, we had the, our own uh, you know, fair share of struggles because I think the, the company didn't have the right timing. Mm -hmm. uh, what do I mean? I mean, um, basically, when, when, you know, let me remind this. I think that the company we pivoted to, the property management in the cloud, um, was too early for its time. Uh, it means that the amount of automation and the amount of, you know, technology we had to have uh, in order to make it a successful one is not something that's still available, even now, four years later. Um, and therefore, it came to our decision, you know, when we weren't able to justify our unit economics, the KPIs, that we have to pivot to something else. We went to this conference called VRMA, Vacation Rental Market Association, to look for answers. You know, what are our competitors were doing? Mm -hmm. When we saw these competitors of ours, these property management companies, using old school technology, we felt, wow, this is super legacy. You know, and I'm yeah. talking things that are running on DOS or maybe Excel spreadsheets and things like that. Mm -hmm. And we built such an amazing technology for ourselves. 
what if we stop competing with them and instead make them our customers and sell them technology instead? It took, a couple, it took us a couple more months to you know, wrap everything with a nice packaging so they can use it. But since then, the company has, has grown tremendously well. Uh, I'm talking four, four and a half years ago. We were much smaller. We were, I believe, like 20 people in the company. And now we are 300, 11 offices worldwide, customers in 80 countries, uh, very successful. Yeah, yeah. So um, coming back to the pivots, um, a lot of books, startup books, already recommend nowadays, hey, probably you need to do to, to do a pivot. Still, it is really, really painful experience. Yeah, so I, I, I don't recommend to pivot. I think a pivot is necessary if you can't achieve your you know, goals, right? So yeah. if your goal is to build a, a, you know, a lifestyle business where your business grows 20% each year and you make a nice living, a profitable business, whatever, then um, you probably can do that you know, without pivoting anywhere. And, and to be honest, if, if that's your goal, then great. If your goal is to achieve, like to build a huge business, right, and to grow more than 100% year over year, and you can't succeed in that, right? If you're successful in that, don't pivot. Obviously, don't pivot. Yeah. But yeah. If, you, if you can't achieve your goals, then you need to start looking at anywhere, what are you doing? Is it something you're doing wrong? Is it the market was not ready? Is it the product? Maybe the solution that you're offering is not good. So talk to your customers or your potential customers, try to sell them. And if you aren't able to sell to anyone, like you're being going door after door for 100 companies or 100 potential consumers, and none of them were buying your product, then you need to start thinking maybe there is no need for your product. And one thing that we learned at Y Combinator is build something people want. Uh, so we were Y Combinator graduates, and build something people want is super important because if you build something no one wants, it doesn't matter if it's amazing. No one cares about it. Yeah. yeah. Right? So think about kind of like, uh, let's say you build, I don't know, an ice machine in Antarctica. No one wants it. Right? But if you're building something that people want, you have easy time finding customers. And when you find customers that really loves you, they become your ambassadors. And they help you grow the company bigger. And if you're able to do that, you, you, the, the question that's next for you is how can you scale in that completely different discussion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, super interesting. Uh, can you give me a little bit insights on how you set your goals? Because right from the beginning, from our talk and even pre-talk, you were really, really data-driven and really KPI-driven. Yeah, You said, okay, we saw that the KPIs were not working out. They didn't move to the way where we wanted them. So we needed to change somehow the yeah. business model. So in an operative way, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So it always starts with something, right? So for us, the, the metric to, to measure ourselves by was revenue. That's the easiest metric of them all because okay. how much money you're making in the bank, that's easy. Yeah. Now, for us, making money means having properties that are managed on our system. So you track revenue, but then you track properties and how much each property is paying you. So you have two KPIs and, or three if you count revenue, number of properties, how much each one is paying you. Then you have how many new properties, how many properties you're losing. That's under the KPI of how many properties you manage, right? So new KP ex retained properties versus new properties. And all of a sudden you have a tree of like seven KPIs that you need to start looking into. Um, obviously for each business it's different. If you're doing a normal SaaS module, you have like 
how many subscriptions do you sell, right? Either seats or sometimes how many companies you sell to and uh, which plan are they on if you have multiple plans. Yeah. And uh, what's the churn rate? It's normal, like, because uh, are they prepaying for a year? Are they paying each month? If they're paying prepay for a year, that's an amazing model. You have amazing, you know, uh, cash flow to, to grow on. If they're paying by monthly, then how many do you have? What's their current conversion rates and things like that? So every business has their own KPIs. You, you can find it very easily online. But let's say you're building something from scratch, and I definitely recommend you not to build a business model from scratch. Um, we made that mistake early on because we were in a new uh, industry. We felt to ourselves that uh, we should do it something completely different. Uh -huh. Don't use the, the things that are available to you. But let's say you are creating from scratch, then use something that makes logic. As I mentioned, start with revenue, then say what influence revenue. In, in your case, it can be users, it can be, you know, Ads sold, sold. If you're in the ad business, if you're, you know, if you're in the furniture business, like sofas delivered, or whatever, right? So you need to create those KPIs that are easy to track. Uh, it's important because if they're not easy to track, no one will track them, and then you'll lose the KPI. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And can I imagine you in the beginning of the startup right away with your Excel sheet? putting every week new numbers into it? Was it like that way? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a coder myself, so I, I don't like doing manual work. Yeah. So most of the times I, I build the scripts to plug into our databases and pull the number of mm -hmm. what's, you know, what's the current status. And then I compare the status from our previous time that I ran the script and I did the delta between them. So I'm one of these people that if I do something more than X amount of times, I'll most likely build an automation for it. And that's what I did, yeah. build a yeah. script. Um, to pull the data from the database. And when you have business assumptions, how do you fit those business assumptions into that KPI model? So Amazing, amazing. So you're basically asking about future plans, right? And when, first of all, you said something very important is business assumptions. Most people don't even understand when they're making an assumption. Yeah. This is critical. Because if you're already understanding that what you're saying is an assumption that is yet to be proven, you're already 80% you know, in a better situation than people that don't. So sometimes people say, hey, I'm working on this solution because uh, I hear that a lot of people have this problem. Boom, assumption. Did yeah, you test yeah. that a lot of people have this problem? Right? Maybe. Or, so anyway, any, anything that you're thinking, oh, I know that in England they would need this and in US they need it. Oh, assumption, assumption, assumption. Every assumption that is not proven by data needs to be categorized as assumption. And when you have assumptions, you put supportive da you know, data to, to make your analysis of the, your model uh, seems realistic, right? So, when you, for example, if you put the salesperson in your model and you say, oh, my salesperson is going to sell 10 deals a month, let's mm -hmm. say. That sounds realistic. That means that he needs to close a deal every three days or so, right? Um, and then you ask yourself, okay, in order to close 10 deals, how many, you know, opportunities you need to have? Maybe he needs 100, maybe he needs 20. Yeah, yeah. And then you're starting to build all these pipeline, and you say, oh, shit. It's impossible to close 30 uh, or 10 accounts each month because I'm selling to, you know, the government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and therefore, I, it's impossible to close because it takes two years to, of, uh, of a you know, pipeline to close them. And also, there's no 10 governments that I have opportunities with, right? So 
impossible. Let's say you're selling to airlines, right? So how many airlines are there in the world? Let's say 250. So you cannot say in your model that you'll sell 10 to 10 airlines each month. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Do you have experience selling to airlines? Yes. If, it's, if you have experience selling to airlines, you'll be a lot more credible because you say, I already know the, the decision makers in each airline for all 250. I can, met, I can get meetings with 30 each month. Therefore, I can close 10 if, if it's a cheap price and they have the, the budget for it, right? So everything yeah, needs yeah. to make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, put a sticker on it and look into it later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and when you have a lot of red stickers on the assumptions, it might be the case that you need to switch something, right, and change something. Yeah, so not necessarily, uh, because the minute you start a business, there's like 100 assumptions. Yeah. Um, what's important is don't test them all at the same time, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so start with the assumption of people need this. Or, and it's better to, to find a, a problem before you find a solution. To find a problem, make sure that it's a real problem. How do you know if it's a real problem? Find people that are suffering from that real problem and then try to sell them something that will cost them money. If they're really suffering from their problem, they will be happy to pay you to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for example, let's say you're um, creating a tool to manage you know, the traffic, right? Okay. And you go to the decision makers in a traffic area in some city, right? The people who control the traffic in some city. And you say, hey, I know that you've been spending like five hours each day just to manage this. What if you can do it automatically? And if he says, oh, cool. And then you ask him, okay, how much would you pay for it? No, I wouldn't pay. I, I'm, I love doing it. Okay, good. So you're not finding a problem. But if he says, if you find me that tool, you get a million dollars from me, boom. Sign them on a letter of intent, which is bullshit, right? But it's still yeah, yeah, something yeah. that you can then take to your investor and say, hey, this city wants to pay me a million dollars. And five more cities that I met, I showed them that this guy is interested, so they also are interested. And all of a sudden, you've proven that there is a need, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you can actually sell without having a product just by creating the, you know, the feeling that you have a product um, ready. This is very risky, though, so you should only do it if, you, you know you can deliver on time that you promise to these customers or else you would hurt your reputation, which is the hardest thing to fix. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and you just I'm just checking to see how, sure. how much time we have because I have another meeting I need to be in. Sure. Uh, yeah, so my next meeting is across the city and it's in 4.30, so I'll have to leave it around 10 minutes at the max in maximum. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, one last question. You just mentioned that you are now in the scaling phase with the startup. Mm -hmm. And now we have talked a lot about the earlier days, right, of your startup, pivoting, finding the customer problem, and so on. So what are for the, you the major changes? Um, and how does it feel? I mean, is it like you're now on a safe ground and everything is good? Uh, so you never feel that, like you're in safe ground because there are always big, big challenges ahead, right? Uh -huh. So the difference in each step of the company is your role as CEO is dramatically different, right? Your role as a CEO and when you start a company is doing sales. It's doing sales, managing your budget, you know, yeah. hiring, funding, everything. When you raise the capital and you're already at, you know, proven like MVP, now it's building a sales cycle, building marketing funnel, making, uh, you know, proven uh, model for growth, 
right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once you build that and you now need to throw in more money into this and growing it, you raise more capital and now you need to build a scaling team, right? So build uh, the team, the executive management, build the support, build you know, the customer success in all these funnels. And then when you're at growth stage, when you've already proven yourself, you're top $10 million dollars, in the bank and you're like, you, you need to scale this and maybe multiple geographies, you already proven US, now you want to do Canada, you want to do Europe, you want to do extra places. That's a growth stage and now you have a completely different job to be done, right? So you already have people to do the sales, the marketing, the customer success, the finance, everything, but now your role is strategy and planning for new countries or new adjacent markets. Let's say you did uh, you know, software for uh, lawyers right, to manage lawyers, and now you have software for paralegals, which is mm -hmm. close by, right, and after you did paralegals, now you have, you know, accountants, which is close by, I don't know, like maybe it's a, a website builder for lawyers, and now it's a website builder for accountants, just yeah. close enough that there is not too much of a difference in product, but adjacent that you can scale your business towards it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. Super interesting. Hey. Super nice having you here. Thank you. Um, Thank you for inviting me, and it was great chatting. And uh, good luck with your own business as well, and also with, yeah. the, with the podcast. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Hey, um, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please tell everybody to listen to that podcast. If you liked it, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe it, rate it, whatever works best for you. Write me an email. I love to get in touch with you. And I mean it like I say it. So... Please enjoy the rest of your day and week and make the best out of it. Bye.